Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Man, I just love our country, and uh, I don't by any means think we're perfect or that the history of our country has been perfect, but I do believe that there's always a hope for everything, and as long as we have God in this thing, there is a hope, and as long as we are, are live and active Christians, that there is a hope, and uh, I, I just believe that that's, I hope that that's the way you look at our country, that um, maybe you don't agree with everything the leadership is doing or has done in the past, but how many people just look at the, the future and think, I, I just hope that you look at the future and think, there, there's a great hope for this country. And, and man, I, I see, I know I have so many great friends and actually some of them are gonna come and preach over the summer. I have so many great friends across this country leading amazing churches. I just wanna brag about that a little bit. That we, I, I know that God's doing great things in Edmonton, but God's doing great things in Calgary, believe it or not. Uh, God, God's doing great things. Uh, you know, God's doing great things in Ottawa. We got, God's doing great things even in Vancouver. Uh, believe it or not, God's doing great things in Vancouver there. And, and uh, I, But I, I love Edmonton, and I, I love what he's doing here the most. Um, but I, I, yeah, I just really believe that God's doing a, a great work in so many churches and so many people's lives. And um, it's one of the blessings of COVID uh, is that I feel like a lot of people um, got disconnected from the church and, and uh, for some time felt like they had no hope and um, realized that, hey, I need to come back to my first love. I need to come back. And I, I realized that um, I was taking my relationship with God for granted. And I've had lots of conversations about that. And hey, maybe you're here today feeling that way. And I hope, hopefully today's word um, energizes you and invigorates you and challenges you. Um, I, I believe that there is a bit of a challenge in today's message. And uh, those ones are always a fun one to preach where you think, oh, geez, dear Lord, was that me or was that you saying that? Uh, and if it goes bad, I'll just blame you. If it goes well, I'll take all the glory in Jesus' name. Okay. Uh, last, uh, my name's Joel, by the way. I'm so uh, happy to be preaching to you today, doing the message. And uh, last week, Pastor Dennis, our lead pastor, um, I mentioned the verse Luke chapter 14, 34 to 35. Uh, and we're gonna read out of Luke chapter 14 in a minute. Um, we're gonna read before this verse, but he read this verse uh, 14 to 35. It says, salt is good, but it's, if salt has lost its taste, uh, how shall its saltiness be restored? I mean, if, if it's uh, no use um, for either the soil or the manure pile, it's to be thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, I think salt does something good to manure. So if you have a pile of that in your backyard, throw some salt on it after church and things will go well for you. Um, but I think we hear a verse like this and we think, yes, that's what I wanna be. I wanna, I wanna be a, a believer like that. I wanna follow Jesus like that. Hey, if you guys could put my um, message clock on. Yeah, thank you so much. These guys got a long weekend. They're like, bro, you have 30 minutes. You better get me saved in 30 minutes or I am out the door and it's on you. Um, and, and so we hear a verse like this and we go, yes, I wanna make a difference in the world. I wanna be salty. Uh, but before this verse, there's a bunch of stuff that Jesus says leading up to this in Luke chapter 14, we're, we're gonna read in a minute. And Jesus is eating at a man's house a Pharisee's house, and this Pharisee, one of the, one of the guys at the table, um, he's, he makes this comment. He says, blessed is everyone who will eat in, uh, the bread in the kingdom of God. Like, we're just, we're all together. We're with Jesus, and things are great. And Jesus kind of brings things back down to earth. 
And uh, he basically says, he starts uh, telling this parable about this dinner host. And his dinner host invites a bunch of people. And uh, he, he basically says that while, yes, everyone is invited into the kingdom of God, everyone has a place at the seat of the table with me. People are going to make excuses and people are going to come up with things in their life to keep them out of that kingdom. And people are going to get distracted by things that keep them out of that kingdom. So he says, you know, one person bought a field and, and he says, I can't come to the banquet. I got to go to this field. And another person says, I got to go five. I got five oxen that I bought. I got to go test them. Whatever that means, you know, like test my oxen, you know, put them on the oxen tester. I don't know. I don't have oxen. But, uh, and then one says, I got married and I'm so whipped by my wife. I got to get home back to her. She won't let me do a thing. Um, but uh, Jesus, uh, so Jesus says the, the host told his servants, go into the streets and just go invite anybody. They don't have to look or act um, a certain way. You just go and invite as many people as possible. And we're going to have a big old banquet of misfits here. And how many people know that that's what the kingdom of God looks like? That you don't have to have a certain color of skin. You don't have to make a certain amount of money. You don't have to live in a certain neighborhood that all are welcome. And the church should look like a group of misfits. Like what the heck are all those people doing looking together, hanging out? I love that about going out to eat uh, with people from church. That, uh, you know, when I used to be in youth quite a bit, we'd go out to Denny's quite a bit. Freaking could not stand Denny's. I'm so done with it. Um, but anyways, we'd go out to Denny's because it's the only thing open. And I remember walking in, it's like the biggest group of misfits you've ever seen. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's what heaven looks like. If you feel like you don't fit anywhere, can I just let you know you fit into the kingdom of God? And if people made you feel like you don't fit in, I'll tell you, that, that, that's a mistake from the people. That's the, the broken imperfectness in the people around you. And that's not what the kingdom of God should look like, that everybody fits in in the kingdom of God. But I wonder if perhaps we've, our lives have been sort of a reflection of these people who haven't had time to come and sit at the table, who've been making excuses to not come and sit at the table with Jesus. And it's interesting to me that all of the excuses that were made by these people are all things that God blesses us with. How many people know God can bless you with something and then you can turn it into a curse? And, and God, and, and so these people are blessed with um, possessions, with oxen, with land, with a marriage. Anybody believing for a marriage today? Put your hand up so all the other people can know and we, you guys can meet up on the patio after church. Kidding. I mean, you can do it if you want to. Um, but God can bless us with stuff and then we can turn those things into a curse. And so I'm gonna read from you uh, from uh, Luke chapter 14 before he says that about you're gonna be salt, you're gonna make a difference, you're gonna you know, be a, a difference maker in the world. He has this heavy scripture that for some reason I chose to preach on this nice, beautiful weekend, this weekend. But I felt, I felt like God was just sticking out Luke chapter 14 to me. Um, so we're gonna read from 25 to uh, 33. Actually, let's read all the way to 35. Um, and so he talks about all these people who make excuses to not be in the kingdom. And then Jesus challenges him with this. Now, great crowds accompanied him and he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Pretty heavy, okay? Okay. You're like, so I just go home and I just hate my family and that's what being a Christian is? I, wow, I'm already on the right track. Oh no, uh, <laughs> joking guys. Let's, we're gonna dig into this in a moment. 
Whoever does, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way away, uh, a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, if anyone among you does not renounce all that he has, it cannot be my disciple. Sheesh, this is heavy. And then he goes into saying, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? If it is no use for either the soil or the manure pile, it is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So first off, um, sounds very extreme. Wow, like this is, whew, that was heavy. Um, but the, the term, many commentators say that the term that Jesus used for hate means to love less. And still it sounds heavy. It's like, so I, I'm gonna put Jesus above my, my family. Yes, and I wanna explain it for a moment. Um, another commentator say, uh, he must not have meant that one should literally hate his family in the sense that we uh, would read the word hate. The stress here is on the priority of love. So it's by our comparison of our love for Jesus that it would almost look like a hate. That is how much we're supposed to chase after him and, our lo and love him. Our loyalty to Jesus must come before our loyalty to even our family or even our lives ourselves. Now, why in the hang would Jesus want us to love him more than our family. It sounds so messed up. It sounds so backwards. And you would think, God, you gave me this family. Why would you want me to uh, love you more than them? Because if you love Jesus more than them, that Jesus will give you the perfect example on how to love them and how to care for them. That, that if you just make up or if you have your own model of love that you've come up with that you've probably got from how you were raised or maybe some TV show or maybe some uh, Instagram influencer that you follow, you have some other model of love. You are not gonna love those people the way that God has intended you love them. And so the best way for you to care and to relate with your family and take care of those around you and be a disciple of Jesus is put Jesus first. He'll teach you the best model of love. And uh, I think that maybe this morning, if you're not getting what you desire from your relationship with Jesus, it might be just because you're holding on to too much of yourself and not embracing enough of what he's called you to. What happens to us is we get distracted, either with disappointment or discouragement. We get distracted or even like these people, God blesses us with homes, with cars, with people. Yes, God will give you stuff. Like, I, I do believe that. I'm not trying to preach a, some weird prosperity gospel this morning, but I do believe that God will open doors for people because I've seen it in people in our church and in my life that God will open doors when we have desires of our heart. We put him first. He will bless us with stuff. 
But what happens is we get distracted and we start to go our own way. And sometimes we become unwilling to pay the price for true discipleship. And Jesus tells us that when we're like this, we are like salt that is tasteless. We're no good. We have no impact. We're just like everybody around us. In Matthew 10, 39, Jesus tells us whoever finds their life will lose it. So if you go spend your life trying to figure this out on your own and try and create this world on your own, it could look really good, but you will feel lost. You're actually supposed to do the opposite. You're supposed to lose your life and then Jesus will help you find it. And that's how he ends the verse. Whoever loses their life will find it for my name's sake. And... Uh, C.S. Lewis puts it this way in Mere Christianity. I love how he states this. He says, the Christian life is simply a process of having your natural self uh, changed into a Christ self. By this, he means in order to find yourself, you must lose yourself entirely in Christ. What does it mean for us to embrace that life? I just wonder if I could give you four C's, four C words uh, that would help you in your discipleship with Jesus today. Could I, give, could I give you that this morning? I'll give you four C's that have helped me. Discipleship means that your conduct always matters. That your actions always matter. It's about addressing the compromise that we allow into our lives. And how many people know we allow so much of it? Man, I, I, I do. I don't like it. And in Mark chapter nine, Jesus is like, if you start to lead people astray, it's actually better that you would tie a millstone, this big, heavy rock around your neck and just go ahead and throw yourself into the ocean. Oh, what an encouraging word for today. Yes, and amen. Let's uh, end church there. Um, it's some heavy language from Jesus. This is why what we do behind closed doors matters. Man, that's where people often fail, when no one else is watching, when they think, what does it hurt if I, how is it gonna hurt someone if I, when you're alone, your conduct matters. And, and what happens when we're alone changes what, how we act when we're with people. And you will always, you might think, you know, this isn't true for me, but I, I'm telling you it is. You'll always have influence. What direction is your influence taking the people in your life? Hey, you're always gonna have influence. Everybody's the leader. It doesn't matter how small that, that crowd is or how big that crowd is or how, how much you look down upon it. The reality of it is, is you are leading those around you. What are you leading them to? Division or unity? Closer to Jesus or closer to what you're feeling in the moment or your opinion or your hurt? Closer to purpose or closer to comfort? Man, it's so easy to get trapped in that, just wanting to be comfortable all the time. I don't want to spend my time doing this. I don't want to get out of bed for that. I want to just stay home and chill. But God has more purpose for us than that. How about this one? Are you leading people towards victory or victimhood? Man, that was one of my biggest temptations in the COVID season is to feel like a victim. To feel like, oh, the, I, I, I'll just be real and open and honest with you. There were times where I felt like the church was a victim of the government. And I just felt like one day in service, I was kind of feeling, oh, this sucks, you know. Work so hard on this message that you just preach to a camera in this dark room. It should be full of people. And yeah, it should have been. But regardless of your views, we don't go into uh, uh, the lane of victimhood. We go into the lane of victory. We know that in the end, we've read the story. In the end, we win. He will make a new heaven and a new earth. I am not a victim. I'm never a victim. I, I, 
No matter, you can put me through anything and, and, and in earthly terms, I might be a victim of something. Like if someone stabs me, obviously I'm gonna be a victim of that. But I'm never gonna allow my mind to get into that sense where I'm a victim, the world is so tough, it's such a hard place to live in. Oh, at least Jesus is coming back someday. At least I'll die eventually, you know. Praise God for that. But no, I just felt like God put it in my heart when I, when I started to slip into that victimhood. Hey, this is my bride. I'm gonna take care of the church. I, hey, I, you know in the end we win. You just keep your eyes fixed on me. You keep it the next day at a time, next day at a time, next day at a time. Don't put your eyes on the world. Put your eyes on me. Know that this is my bride you're taking care of. This is my bride that we're leading together. This is my bride. That, and I, I'll tell you, the, the, maybe even a year ago, sitting in a dark room thinking, is this really what church is going to be reduced to now? And then uh, two Sundays ago, having 15,000 people walking around on our site. Let me tell you, the church always wins. God always wins. We are not victims. Come on. We always win in the end. But is my conduct leading people towards Jesus or away from Jesus? I think about even enemies that, you know, even pastors have enemies. Um, we all have enemies. And uh, Proverbs 16, 7, says, what's our conduct with our enemy? When a person's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. You know how you can make peace with your enemies? My mom taught me this. Because, you know, sometimes I go through something, feeling kind of sad or whatever. I talk to my mom. Mom, this happened. You know, I'm still a child. Um, 34, act like I'm four sometimes. Uh, but, uh, you know, I just, you know, the one day was just kind of venting to my mom about something. And I, I, I should have been talking to the person about it, but I, I, I was just, Mom, I can't believe and she, you know what she told me? She said, look at what they're saying about you and don't look at the exaggerated 95%. Don't look at how they're, you know, what's that word? Uh, exfoliating, I was trying to say. But how they're making it bigger than it has to be. Starts with an E. I can't remember the word. <laughs> embellishing, thank you. Embellishing. Don't look at their embellishment of it. Don't look at that 95%. Look at the 5% that is the truth. Because there, there could be some truth in there. And maybe they're being nasty, but look for the truth in it. Man, I'll tell you right now, I was going through a season of criticism. I just felt this is so unfair. And my mom told me, just throw away what is the lie. Look at the 5%. You fix that in you. Man, it'll help you see eye to eye with your enemies better. Maybe they do have a point. So, that's good. God is good. Conduct. <laughs> see, number one, conduct. Number two, we're constantly develop our character to be more like Jesus. We're constantly developing our character to be more like Jesus. Sarah, could I grab my drum, my trusty drum from you? Um, thank you. Appreciate it. Can everybody give Sarah a hand? She's doing such a great job today. Um, thank you, Sarah. You're awesome. Um, so in high school, I took shop class. And in this shop class, um, the teacher comes in one day with this beautiful drum that he had. This nice drum, and he was such a good drummer. He just whipped that thing around and do his thing. And he just loved playing this drum. And, and he's like, you're all going to make one of these. And so we're like, what? We're all going to make this drum. And he goes and he, he uh, puts it at the front of the class as kind of like a, a symbol for us. You are all going to make one of these beautiful drums. And then he, he hands us all a pile of sticks that look something like this. And we, weren't, we didn't make it out of pine, but I was on the church's budget. I wanted to be responsible. Okay, guys? So, uh, but he gives us all this, this wood, and um, he, he, he's like, yeah, one day it's going to look like that. 
And this is the model. And, and one day it's going to be beautiful. And, and so you, you, you know, keep your eyes fixed on that. And he gives us all these stacks of wood and you think this is useless. This is never going to be a drum. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not going to get there. And this is hard. And you, and, and then, you know, he, he just starts to show us and help us a little bit. And so what we do is we glue all the sticks together and it starts to take formation. And, and you're kind of like, okay, it kind of looks like a drum, but it's really, you know, hard. It's not smooth like the teachers. And, and we get it all glued together and then we get it on a lathe. And we just get it on this lathe and it spins on that lathe. And then you have like a little butter knife looking thing. It's like a little knife. And what you do is you very slowly put it on the wood and it begins to chip away the rough edges. And over and over, wood chips getting everywhere. And it's so awkward because you get all this wood shavings all over you. And then you got to go to like LA after that. And you're like, well, I'm full of wood chips in my shoes. This is so weird. Um, but you're working away on that lathe. And the whole time, you can be tempted to look at what the rest of the class is doing and or tempted to just look at your project and think, this is terrible. This is never going to be what he says it's going to be. Or you can look at the front of the class and look at his perfect drum that he spent years perfecting. And, and the temptation is to give up on it. I know for me, I was like, this is hurting my arms. I'm like, like this is killing me. And I didn't want to continue with it. And at times I would make a mistake and put too deep of a groove in it. And then I have to spend classes and classes and classes trying to smooth out the mistake that I made by trying to, you know, be impatient and whatnot. And the reality is, is this is what our lives look like. Is that this, this whole discipleship process is just that, a process. Character is a process. It's a formation. And like that lathe, we got to come back to it class after class, keeping our eyes fixed on what it should look like on Jesus, who's been there before, who's done it before, who's walked this earth and who gave us a manual on how to do it and go, I got to come back to the project. It's worth the time. And the, the reality of it is, is the, the project that our lives are, are never going to be finished. But we got to stay committed to that process of, let's smooth it out. When we jab it too deep, let's smooth it out. And here's what happened to me that I always regretted. Here's what happened to me that I always regretted is everybody else was, you know, uh, working away and, and perfecting theirs so nice. And they, they had theirs all a lot skinnier. So theirs are a lot lighter and they're easy to play and whip around. But I got impatient with mine. And because I got impatient, I had enough of making mistakes. I just wanted to get the project over with. And so I left the wood way too thick. And literally, as I'm holding it right now, it's hurting my back. <laughs> like, come on, man, I got to golf this afternoon. You're, gonna, you're killing me. Um, but it's always been harder to play because I rushed it. And the reality of it was, is that I, I could have went a little bit slower. I could have took a little bit longer. I could have stayed my eyes fixed on the one in the front of the classroom. What's the wood look like on that one? How do I, you know, be okay with continuing to make a mistake, but coming back to the process and working a way to get it smoothed out, to be like the example that the teacher gave me. I know that that's what our, our lives can look like at times. And we have to stay fixed on the process of discipleship. You can become so tempted to think, I'm gonna land here. I've learned, I've figured out what I, what I need to learn. You know, I read through the Bible twice. I've got it all down. I went, I went front to back, back to front. You know, like I got it, I got it all figured out. And, and, and you don't make this sort of, it's not a moment where you make that decision. What happens is pride creeps in and, and you start to disagree with people and you, you start to sort of get fixed in your ways. And then what happens is we finish the project too early. Man, we gotta come back to that process that our character is something we're constantly developing 
what we say matters, what we do matters. When no one's looking, doing the right thing still matters. Matthew 6, says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, the whole body will be full of light. What do we do? Spend our lives making sure our eyes are healthy. What, what, what are we looking at? What are we thinking about? How are we taking stuff in? When no one is watching, you know, that's when character is developed, when no one's watching. When you, when you do what you don't wanna do, that's how character is developed. When you do the right thing, even though it costs you something. When you keep your word, even though your flesh is telling you, I don't wanna do this, that's when character is developed. And it's often, people often fail what happens when they're behind the scenes, not when they're on the stage of their life. And so what we do behind the scenes matters so much. And this is why I think so many um, kids that get raised in the church will eventually walk away from the faith is because often what I've seen happen and the conversations I've had is, is that mom and dad were somebody else at church than they were at home. And what it did, it was it told them that we have to fake this thing. And, and, and it's just the, the reality of it is, is that what we do at home, hey, it matters so much more than putting on a show at church. And coming here and, yeah, we're just the greatest, sweetest family ever. The reality of it is, is we're gonna struggle sometimes, but character is that process to say, I'm committed, coming back to the lathe, smoothing it out. What, you know, what's a leader trying to tell me to do? What's the Bible trying to, how is the Bible correcting me? Having a soft heart to say, oh, man, I could always be better. I mean, what, is, what does being salt mean to you? When Jesus talks about being salt of the earth, here's what salt does. I love this. Salt enhances sweetness and blocks bitterness. Man, if you take nothing else, take that. Salt enhances sweetness and it blocks out bitterness. What's Jesus trying to say to us? Just doing the the math. I mean, I'm sure Jesus' brain knew how salt worked, right? I I know he was fully God and fully man. And and, and so the way he he uses words in a specific way was, was, man, he's telling us, be a people. That's like, you can be bitter to me, but I'll replace that with sweetness. I love it. You know what salt does not try to do? Salt doesn't try to fit in. Salt's not to be like, okay, let me just, you know, however you guys taste, you know, I just want to be the same. You broccoli, I'll just taste just like broccoli, you know? Thank God salt doesn't do that. Salt blocks out the bitterness that would be in that and brings out the sweetness that even broccoli can be good if you put salt on it. And as you... What happens is as you become more like Jesus, as you become the salt that he's talking about and he's, he's setting that example that maybe that drum in front of us, as you, you know, fix your eyes on that, what happens is you, you might find yourself no longer fitting into the culture around you. So whatever it is, if it's a friend group that you might find yourself not fitting in, even if it's a friend group full of followers of Jesus, you might find that as you become salty, you no longer fit in. You might find that in social media, you no longer fit in. The conversation that everybody is having, all of a sudden, you no longer fit in. That might be a good sign that you are becoming salty. It might be, it might be a, a conversation at a gathering that everybody is believing one way. And you're saying, that's not what my Bible, that's not the direction that my Bible is telling me to go. All of a sudden, salt finds itself no longer fitting in to the culture around it. And here's what I love about salt. Salt knows its place and it does not try to fit in. Instead, it blocks out bitterness and enhances sweetness and makes things around it better. And so my, one of my sort of challenges to you today 
is if your idea of Christianity is you're just like everybody else, but just a little bit sanitized, you might have an issue in your life. Like uh, being a Christian means I say frick instead of f like everybody else. <laughs> like You know the word I'm talking about. It's not about being a little bit sanitized. It's more than that. It's salt. We don't always fit in. Even John told us this. Well, Jesus told us this, uh, John chapter seven. I'm coming to you now. I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they be, uh, may have the full measure of joy within them. Oh, I love that. He wants you to have the full measure of joy within you. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. And so that might be at a place where we find ourselves. Let's just make sure they don't hate us just because we're a jerk. <laughs> Let's make sure if they're going to hate us, it's because we just cannot compromise what the Bible tells us to do. And so if you have viewpoints that are scary to share with regular people because you think they will hate you for them, you might be on the right track. And I'm not trying to give you some political tangent this morning, but what I find is that what can creep up into so many people's lives is there's identity politics that take place. Is that because we fit into certain groups, we start to believe what those groups believe just simply on the basis of identity politics, that that's what they believe in. So that whatever, if they're, they have right ideals or left ideals, we just believe that because that's what the people around us believe. Can I just say our beliefs must come from the Bible? that that's the word we have to stand on. And if we're actually gonna stand up for what we believe, let's make sure we know it in our hearts. Let's make sure we get the word into our hearts and say, this is what Jesus has called me to. I'm sorry that you're not comfortable with that standard, but that is the standard that I'm called to as a follower of Jesus. And so this might take you to a place of uncomfortability in conversations. It also might take you to a place where you have to bite your tongue at times in order to ensure that you stay within that group because you're going to have an impact on them. But we have to look past what the mob is chanting at times and stop looking in either direction, but look to where our Bible is leading us. So the fourth C, no, the, geez, the third C, Joel, hurry up. On the timer, I thought it was the, okay. Anyways, consistency. I just feel like in the last year and a half, God's just put that word on my heart consistency, the best process of discipleship, because our days make up our weeks, our weeks make up our years, and our years make up our lives. And often you hear people say, I don't have time for this. I struggle to read my Bible with that. I, I you know, struggle to pray. And it's because sometimes we think too big of a picture. I got to have 30 minutes of prayer. I got to have an hour in the Word. It's all about consistency, what I do every single day. My son, you know, he does not want to go to bed at night. So what does he do? Takes forever to go up the steps. Every step, he has a new excuse of why he can't go up those and go to bed. But, you know, the reality of it is, is he's going to get there a lot faster if he just keeps taking another step, another step, another step. Stop stopping on every step. It's about taking steps every single day towards the Lord. Psalm 27.4 says, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It's what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord. Look at this. All the days of my life. Everybody say, all the days. All the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. You know, we become what we practice. So if you're always stingy, you're going to be a stingy person. If you're always generous, you're going to be a generous person. If you're always compassionate, if you're always looking to err on the side of compassion, 
you'll become a compassionate person. Jesus wants to develop our personality. And he does that through the consistent pursuit of him. I heard this recently that's just been helping me so much. Uh, I heard this guy say in this course I was taking, he said, how you live is how you will die. Sounds a little bit dark, but how you live is how you'll die. So how do you want to die? How do you want to die? Do you want to die angry? Do you want to die bitter? You know, he was, he was telling this story about his mom and how she was just so bitter at people in, in her life. And he went to see her for the last time, knowing it would be the last time he'd see her before she would pass on. And she was just so bitter in the way she communicated with him about people in her life. You know how I want to die? You know how I'd love to die? Happy, with a smile on my face. You know, like, I'm dying right now, guys. I love you, but I'm dying. That's how, I don't know about you, but that's how I want to die. And in order for me to die that way, I got to live happy. I got to live with the joy of the Lord that the Bible talks about, you know, and this helps us in our discipleship in consistency, knowing, hey, is this really as big of a deal as I'm making it right now? Is this really worth the argument right now? Is this, what, what do I want to do? I want to be salt. I want to block out the bitterness so I can be sweet. And doing things like this daily puts us in the presence of the Lord takes consistency, doing it every day, ensuring every day we make decisions like this. And it takes 4C, compassion, to be the disciple that you want to be. It takes compassion. As I was writing this message, I was in a cafe. This guy walks in with a dog. Ladies in line, okay? I'm sitting there typing away. Guy walks up with a dog. Where's the dog? I'm going to type in. This lady comes up and she's like, oh my gosh, look at this dog. She's like in love with this dog. She's petting this dog. She's down on the ground like, I love this dog. She like changes her whole life in that moment just to be with this dog. Then pulls out a doggy biscuit out of her purse. I'm like, what is happening? And she feeds this dog. I love this dog. And she's so into this dog. She's so, oh my gosh, this dog's here. And uh, they have their moment. It's her turn in line. She gets up and she's like, hey, I'll have an Americano uh, to go. Man, dogs are so overrated. Can I just say that? What if we treated people the same way we treat dogs? What if we showed people as much grace as we show dogs? You know what I'm saying? That's, that's, all, that's all I'm saying. Hey, if you got a dog this morning, you're offended at me, that's okay. That's the Holy Spirit working on your heart. But I, I think that can be the case sometimes is that we can just be so harsh to people, especially ones we don't, dis, we don't agree with. And, and, and it's, that's not what being salt is about. Salt is about enhancing the sweetness in the world. And there's such a tension here. I, I wanna get into it in a moment. Matthew chapter 9, 36. You look all through the gospels. I just gave you as, as many as I could quickly find flipping through. But you look all through the gospels. There's all these kinds of lines about Jesus having compassion. So when he's, Matthew 9, 36, when he, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You gotta know that Jesus shows you compassion too. That as you wanna develop compassion in your life, you have to have compassion on yourself. You gotta know that that's the way Jesus sees you 
is that he, he shows you compassion. And so when he sees you, he doesn't look at you with a harsh or you know, intense tone, like you gotta get things right. He sees you in a way that he has compassion on you, understanding that we're all gonna struggle, we're all gonna mess up, we're all gonna push the knife into the blade a little bit too deep and spend some time maybe smoothing out those issues or those mistakes that we made. But when Jesus looks at us, he looks at us with compassion. Luke 7, when he saw her, he felt compassion. Matthew chapter 5, I feel compassion for the people. Matthew 14, 14, when he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Listen, we are led by compassion to compassion. When God looks at you, he's not harsh, he's not angry. He looks at you with compassion. And if we're gonna be disciples, we need compassion operating in our lives every day. And I think that sometimes when people think about Christians, they don't think about compassionate people. But the facts would say differently. In fact, as I was writing this message, I thought, let's see what Stats Canada says about Christians. And luckily they had something. Thank you, Stats Canada. Uh, 93% of Christians have given money to one or more charitable or nonprofit organizations. And on, uh, and it also says this, uh, I'm not even gonna read this whole study, but uh, just talking about how, you know, Christians are the ones giving to nonprofits, are the ones giving to these, these charities that are making a, a huge difference. Not to say that other people are, but they're saying there's a huge chunk of it is coming from believers. Then there's a study on adoption that I read for America, because um, nobody wants to study Canada. You know how hard it is to find studies of Canada. Um, but I found this Barna study on uh, adoption in America, and 2% of all Americans have adopted a child. 5% of practicing Christians have adopted in America. How amazing is that? That over double the normal amount. That's the response of a compassionate disciple. We talk about things, um, and when we talk about things that we don't agree with in culture, it can, we can be tempted to be angry towards people. I just want to be careful with my words here. Because there's, there's, we, we have to be careful that we can be angry about things that we, injustices that we feel are wrong in culture. But what we don't do is we don't aim it at those people and get angry with the people. We get angry at the problem. We use compassion to make change. And, and so I am, as a parent, I'm angry about some things I see in our culture. I am angry that I don't trust the public school system. I'm angry that it feels like uh, my voice is not heard in there. And, I, and I'm, I'm angry that it, 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 I'm, I don't trust the public school system right now. I feel like I should be able to. I'm angry that I no longer trust a children's movie studio to entertain my children. That makes me angry. It bothers me. Because I feel like they, they have certain agendas that they want to push. That they, they, they feel that it's their job to educate, not just entertain. But when come, it comes to relating to people as a disciple of Jesus, I'm moved by compassion towards people. So when I'm talking and, and relating with someone uh, who, is, um, who I don't agree with their stance on sexuality, my stance is not anger, but compassion. When it's um, someone who I feel is confused about their identity, my stance is not anger, but compassion towards that person. I must be moved with compassion towards people who are struggling even with mental health in ways that I haven't experienced. Because that's the way that God responds to me. That's what a disciple is. 
And the reality of it is, is that when Adam and Eve messed up and they slipped, God could have said, nope, let's shut it down. We're done with the humans, dogs only on this, on this earth. But God is moved with compassion towards us. And he sent his son. And Jesus is moved with compassion. As when he heals people, Matthew chapter 20, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. So you gotta protect your heart from becoming hard. That's part of a disciple. Stay on the lathe. Stay focused on the drum that's in front of you. Might not make sense to anybody who's just watching a clip of this right now, but it makes sense to you. It's worth it. Compassion is what makes us different. It's been making us different for years. And, and I just promise you, if you will embrace the cost of becoming a disciple, because it's not the easiest thing, it is so worth being more than a sanitized version of everybody else. Allowing the Holy Spirit to convict, convict us when we need it and comfort us when we need it and be the change that so often we need in this world. Can I pray for you? God, thank you so much for your faithful church that's here today. God, I just pray for um, just the hearts and the minds. God, I just right now, I'm just feeling like um, there's, there's families in here that need peace. There's been no peace in their home. Holy Spirit, just fill their home right now. I just believe the Holy Spirit's going into, into the presence of people right now, that you've been through a dry season. You felt like you haven't connected with the Holy Spirit or been full of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a while. I just believe, Holy Spirit, right now, would you be faithful on this Canada Day weekend to fill these homes with your presence. Lord God, thank you for your grace. And God, thank you that as we've maybe been convicted today, I pray we realize you move with compassion towards us, Lord. And I pray that right now, that'd be the way we move towards people. That'd be the way we interact with people. And, and Holy Spirit, would you comfort us right now? As maybe we're uncomfortable from some things that was said in, in this message, Lord God, would you comfort us? And would you help us not to have be full of shame or to be full of pride or be full of anger, but God, to be full of your love. We just wanna be disciples that have our eyes fixed on you. We wanna be salt that blocks out the bitterness of this world and brings sweetness into situations that we go in. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for making your impact in our lives. Hey, I just wanna pray quick. If you uh, haven't prayed a prayer to let Jesus be the Lord of your, your life, that you, you realize um, he is your Lord and Savior, but you haven't asked him to come into your heart and start living for him and, and start the process of being a disciple. If you're here, you prayed a prayer before and you fell away, or you wanna pray this prayer for the first time, I'm just gonna ask you to repeat after me because the Bible says you believe in your heart, then you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. If everybody from Celebration Church uh, family could just repeat after me in agreement with those praying this prayer. Say, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and dying on the cross to pay for my sin. I believe that you're my Lord and God raised you from the dead. And from now on, I live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for what God has done here today. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.